stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, interesting uh, story from Global News today. And the question, is it okay to swear around kids? Maybe at some level that's kind of a moral judgment, how you view swearing. But in terms of like a negative impact on kids or the potential of that, I mean, how do we measure that? How do we gauge it? And it kind of gets back to the question, you know, what, what is swearing? It seems obvious we know it when we hear it. But why is it inherently harmful? You know, it's interesting as my kids are at an age, 15 and 12, where this is very relevant. You know, they're, they're going to hear that kind of language, maybe even use it. What's the context in which they're using it? Are they using it in a harmful way, an abusive way? Are they using it to try to denigrate others? But it's one thing to use foul language in order to try to put somebody down versus, you know, you step on a piece of Lego <laughs> and a naughty word comes out of your mouth. I still remember. I still remember this. Uh, my son was, God, bar- you know, barely talking at this point. Very young. And he was a horrible sleeper. Just could not sleep. We'd often just have to rock him to sleep and then put him in his bed. And even carrying to bed, he would, he would wake up again. And, you know, it's the middle of the night. Tired parents, you know, bad words are going to come out of your mouth. Enough so that one day it just came flying out of his mouth. What do we make of all of it? Well, this is a subject that our next guest has uh, spent a lot of time researching. He's the author of the book called What the F, What Swearing Reveals About Our Language, Our Brains, and Ourselves. Benjamin Bergen is a professor of the Department of Cognitive Science, also director of the Language and Cognition Lab at UC San Diego. Ben, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Hey, it's my pleasure. So uh, what is swearing? How do, we, how do we view that question of defining what it is and whether we can measure harm from it? Yeah, well, swear words change over time. I mean, words that 100 years ago would have been completely outrageous are now totally acceptable. We don't uh, get offended by them anymore. And the words that we think now are the most offensive in 100 years probably won't mm-hmm. even cause people to bat an eyelash. Um, so it's a, it's a cultural decision that there are particular words that we all agree we're not going to say in certain circumstances. And they tend to come from certain places. They, they tend to relate to bodily functions and sex and religious concepts and groups of other people. Um, but, yeah, it's a cultural agreement that these words are unsuitable for particular circumstances. And we teach that to the next generation of speakers of our language because we center ourselves. We don't say those words in certain circumstances. We punish kids when they say those words, and they learn very early. We learn very early that there's a particular set of words that are just the bad ones, and we come to have very strong emotional associations with those words. Yeah, and, and, and I sense that it's when it comes to kids, it's mostly after the fact. I'm not aware of any parents who sit down with their kids and say, okay, listen, Here's a list of bad words. Here's what the words are. Here's what they mean. You are not to say them. It's typically the kids hear them, they say them, and then we wag our finger and say, that's a bad word. That's right. George Carlin has a great sketch yes, about he where he, he, he explains that, uh, that it would be a lot easier if you got a list, but we don't. <laughs> 
I mean, is it is it common through all human languages and, and through the history of human language that there have always kind of been forbidden words in, in every language and culture? There are often forbidden ways of speaking. So in, in Japanese, for example, it's not clear that they have anything quite like the profanity that we have that we're familiar with in English. In Japanese, it's not there's no history of bleeping things out. Doing so is a very new concept that they get from American movies and and music and and the like. And the way that we treat profanity is different from culture to culture. So if you're in France or in Germany, the bad words aren't actually bad words, they're big words. Gomo, and they're not as bad as they are uh, on this continent anyway. They they're they're seen as emotional language, but that doesn't prohibit someone from using them on the on the ten o'clock news or the or on the floor of the Senate or or in front of kids. Mm-hmm. So they're they're very different attitudes towards these words. By the way, we also have I mean the middle finger, which isn't even a word, but right. basically it is 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 a form of swearing. It, it, that that seems odd and unique, isn't it? Uh, very common across the world's uh, cultures. Is it's it? not always the middle finger. That's actually something that we've adopted, and that goes back at least two thousand years. We know that the ancient Greeks used it. Uh, the Romans borrowed it, like they did many cultural <laughs> cultural dispositions from the Greeks. Uh, it was called digitus impudicus, <laughs> the impudent finger. <laughs> um, and uh, but there are lots of uh, profane gestures around the world that look different, um, that are better used for the same function, which is to express disdain uh, towards another person. That's quite common. Mm-hmm. But we seem to have drawn a line. I mean, we even have labels that we put on music and, and movies that, you know, it's this has foul language, parental discretion is advised, you know, kids shouldn't be exposed to this. Um, and, and look, I mean, parents are going to approach this in their own way, but I mean, is what kind of research is there to, to suggest whether there is or isn't a, a negative impact on, on kids when it comes to foul language? Right. So the main way that we can study this is by tracking what language kids are exposed to sort of naturally, spontaneously in the world, and then looking at their health outcomes. And that can include mental health. It can include how well they do in school what their feelings are towards school, their relationships towards other people, how aggressive they are towards other people. And uh, a lot of great scientists have done this. And here's, here's the main outcome. When kids are exposed to verbal abuse, and that includes denigration, telling kids that they uh, are worthless or exposing them to slurs. So that's those are words that denigrate a person by dint of their ethnicity or sex mm-hmm. or sexual orientation, whatever it is. Those are correlated with decreases over the course of childhood in their mental health and well-being. So increased anxiety, depression, feelings of detachment from school. But mere exposure to just profane words, you know, like you were saying, stepping on a Lego. That's happened to, I assure you, most parents. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, or... Um, or excitement, like a kid brings home a fantastic report card, and you express that in a natural and emotional way using a profane word. The exposure to those kinds of words, and that's, by the way, the great majority of the profanity that kids are both exposed to and use is in these non-aggressive formats. That type of exposure to profanity does not show any uh, causal relationship to mental health problems or anything else. In fact, 
you know, people are worried that profanity will stunt kids' vocabularies or make them less intelligent right. or that it's a yeah. sign of a less intelligent person. Those correlations don't pan out at all. In fact, it, when I bring in undergraduates into my lab and I look at, I look at how proficient they are in language in general, when I correlate that with their proficiency with profanity, I find that they actually correlate quite nicely in that the more proficient they are with profanity, the better they are in language in general. So uh, there's, there's not really much to fear, I think, in terms of their health outcome or their academic outcomes. Now, as for w- what parents decide they want to do around their kids, the type of environment that they want to have their, for their kids, what kind of language they want their kids to hear from them, that, of course, is a, is a personal decision that parents have to make themselves. Yeah, and I mean, there are societal expectations around this, and, and for kids, I mean, there are more practical expectations, you know, that their, their school, their extracurricular activities are likely to have, you know, all kinds of restrictions around this sort of thing. And, and I mean, it is going against these rules. It's, is there a link between use of this kind of language and, you know, antisocial or anti-authority behavior? There's not, not that we know of, that the... It is true that one of the main risks of being very permissive about language, profane language with kids, is that kids may uh, use that language in context in which there will be consequences. So, you know, if your kid, maybe not at age one, but a little bit older, if your kid was, uh, was, uh, was want to use profane words in school, then that may have led to punishment, and you know you get in a cycle of you, you become the bad kid or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's certainly a potential risk of using profanity, but it's also clear that kids aren't really learning these words from their parents. Um, you know, kids mostly when you look at the when you look at observational data, kids are mostly learning these words from older kids or from peers who have older siblings, and uh, as a consequence. What you say around your kids is not really the best model for what they're going to do. Oftentimes, you know, they, they, they try to define themselves and their generation in contrast with you. And so what you do is, at least by the time they're in school, is more a model of what authority does. They don't really want to do that. And so oftentimes parents who swear the most have kids who swear the least. What about culture, the popular culture? I mean, you know, when I was a kid, I, I, I bought albums that, you know, my, my parents uh, would have frowned on. Maybe they, they didn't know I had them. But, you know, these days, um, you know, kids are relying less on the radio for, for songs where it's all cleaned up. I had a, another parent lamenting uh, to me the other day said, you know, I was on iTunes and, you know, all the top songs, they, they all have like explicit versions. I mean, are, are kids, I mean, are kids exposed to it that way as well? So there's another way to, yeah, that, that's the other way to think about it is whatever you do at home, your kid is going to get far more exposure to language on, like you said, on online music streaming or uh, networked games or Instagram or just text messaging their friends. That's, they're getting so much exposure to uncensored language that... You know, the, the restrictions that are placed on, for example, on you uh, as, a, as a radio broadcaster or, um, or that are placed on broadcast television or that a parent might decide to place on themselves or their home, those, are, um, those aren't going to make as much of an impact as they might have 
in a previous generation when the when media hadn't been as democratized as it is now. Yeah. So yeah, kids are being exposed to far more language, and as a result, they don't think the language is that bad. So there's this fascinating effect that's happening if you track people over time. Where, for example, the freshmen, my college freshmen that I that I teach in the in the fall, when they come in, I have them complete a survey where they where they say how offensive a bunch of words are, and they're amazed to discover that many of the words that they don't think are particularly offensive to my generation, I'm in my 40s, uh, to my generation are, are absolutely appalling. Um, you know, the, the F word, for example, showed up this year as number 16 on their list of most offensive words. Um, the, the SH word shows up, it doesn't crack the top 50. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a change that's happening in real time where the words that they get exposed to the most, they become inured to. They don't have the same reaction to them. And, and in a way, profanity for them is kind of dying. They, they don't see these words as particularly offensive anymore. It's interesting because, you know, in some ways, language cuts the other way. I mean, you know, the, the debate around the R word, for example, um, which is, is more, you know, in, in that category of insulting terms. I, I think an older generation might view that in a much different light than, than a younger generation would. You're exactly right. That's exactly the right intuition. So, that, so what we see on these surveys is that words related to just just generally related to sex or bodily functions, that sort of thing, are are drifting down uh, the list of most offensive words. And words like the R word and like, well, there's another F word, actually, that's among the five most offensive words to English speakers now. Yeah. Um, that is a, it's a slur for, uh, for homosexual people. Um, these are the words that are becoming most offensive to the current generation uh, of, uh, of English speakers. And... Yeah, I think that you're exactly right. It has to do with not whether not the word as a bad word itself, but what's the work that the word is trying to do. And the current generation centennials are extremely sensitive to the idea of causing harm to people by denigrating groups that they appear to belong to. And the result is that they think that those words are more offensive because they are meant to harm. I don't think that's a terrible mindset to have. Yeah, that's it's uh, quite fascinating. Uh, we've got to leave it there, Professor Bergen. The book is called "What the F: What Swearing Reveals About Our Language, Our Brains, and Ourselves." Really appreciate your insight, and uh, thanks for making some time for us here today. Hey, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, take care, Benjamin Bergen at UC San Diego. Uh, again, author of the book "What the F: What Swearing Reveals About Our Language, Our Brains, and Ourselves." Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at twelve thirty on News Talk seven seventy Calgary.